This is the 2.1 cast. Visit the2.1.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at the2.1. Hello and welcome to this week's 2.1 cast. As usual, I'm Neil Murray and I'm joined by Stefan Bienkowski and Graham Rutherford again. How are we doing, guys? Not bad, Neil. How are you? Not too bad. A bit snotty, but I think everybody is at a this bit, time a year. Bit snotty. A bit snotty, yeah. Oh, lovely. Not in terms of like I'm a bit snooty and I'm on arse, as in I'm feeling a bit ill. But uh, well, told me that before I offered to share my cookies with you. Ah, uh, yeah. That sounds like a euphemism. I know, right? So I think we're just going to keep going anyway. Uh, this week we're going to talk Celtic because it's a it's a massive week for the Parkhead side, uh, not just because of the old firm at the weekend, but also because of the Champions League clash this week against Anderlecht. Um, they've said themselves, the club, they want to be in Christmas after Europe. I think a big part of that, we'll all agree, is that... They want to be in Europe after Christmas. Oh, man. <laughs> they want to be in Christmas after Europe. I mean, they want to be in Christmas after Europe as they want, well. They want a post-Brexit Christmas. Do they even know it's Christmas? <laughs> we all want to be in Christmas. After Europe. <laughs> at, at all times. Once yeah. Europe has fallen, we want oh, Christmas all year round. Just going to blame it on the illness. Anyway, is this game against Anderlecht the biggest game of their season so far? Feel free to jump in, whoever wants to go uh, first. Yeah, I'll go ahead. Yeah, so far, I'd say absolutely. Um, I got a piece up on the website today, actually, it kind of covers exactly this, and the kind of angle I took going into this game is that, you know, Celtic are used to these must-win games every week in Scotland. You know, they have to beat Hearts, they have to beat Hibs. Even now, you know, they have to beat Rangers, even, you know, at Ibrox. Uh, and Brendan Rodgers, since he's moved to Scotland and he's took charge of the Celtic team, has done that fantastically well. Um, you know, despite obviously one or two draws and things, but his job at Celtic in Scotland is to win every game basically and win every trophy, and he's done a good job of that. Um, the kind of flip side of that is in Europe, Celtic are almost never expected to win. Even, you know, usually um, there's at least one team in the group stages that Celtic are usually paired with, but last season they were actually in a particularly tough group, I'd suggest. Um, I'm not entirely sure if. There was any suggestions that they should have finished thirds, or they should have assumed third place was theirs to have? I think that's a wee bit. I thought that was a bit mis- misguided. Um, but in this Adelaide team, they have finally, for the first time since Rogers took over at Celtic, a must-win game or something akin to a must-win game. Um, considering the fact that you know Andelect have shown, um, well, they've almost entirely capitulated this season. Yeah, I, th- I think it's the. It, it, at the moment, it'll be this, the biggest game of Celtic season. But then the next fixture at home against Anderlecht, I think that's the last. Is that the last group game? I think. I believe so. Yeah. So that could be that. That could usurp this one if Celtic get a a, a positive result this week and they're still in a position to finish in that third spot. Then that last game will be even bigger than this. But it's a different kind of pressure Celtic have in Europe. I mean. There's a there's a swagger to the way Celtic play in Scotland that almost a confidence and you feel like it's maybe not the I mean you see glimpses of it in, in Europe I mean obviously the way they qualified was was quite confident and um, there were glimpses of it last season against particularly Manchester City who they didn't lose to but um, that, that confidence confidence hasn't quite translated over into to European competition yet so I I think that's kind of the 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 situation that they have. I mean, you've kind of touched on it there, obviously. But how big a game is this for Brendan Rodgers himself? I mean, so far, apart from take out Europe when it was a particularly difficult group last year, he's had almost a kind of perfect start to his Celtic career in the sense of a treble. They're absolutely invincible domestically. How big a game? How big a game? Sorry, is this for him individually and as a manager? Yeah, I mean, I think I often make this comparison on Twitter, and usually gets a response of just utter 
drivel and, you know, criticism, <laughs> like most things I tweet. Um, but I think you can actually draw quite a lot of comparisons between the pressure Celtic managers are under and the pressure Bayern Munich managers are under, actually, in the sense that, um, you know, Bayern Munich can win the Bundesliga every year and they can even win the Cup and they can do a double, that's fine. But at the end of the day, you know, Pep Guardiola, Carlo Ancelotti, Jupp Heynckes, whoever it may be, is going to be defined by how well the club do in Europe. And I think Celtic are in a similar situation. Brendan Rodgers in a similar situation, obviously to a lesser degree. Um, but I don't think if Brendan Rodgers in three years' time has won the league title every year and maybe he's even gone and done the treble every year, I think unless he's actually done something in Europe, um, that, that, that record is going to be significantly less than it could be. Yeah, it was always the question of Rodgers at Liverpool as well, was his European record. Um, I think he's he's excellent at coaching a team that are superior to the competition. So at Liverpool as well, you know, they would they would very rarely lost to teams below them. Celtic obviously have lost a single domestic game under Brendan Rodgers. So he's excellent at at maintaining a level. It's when they are the underdogs that he he doesn't. I'm not sure if it's an inability. Actually, I think it's a refusal to change his style against PSG. Obviously, Celtic were were never really going to... I don't think they were ever going to get something against PSG. But there was a way to play that could have limited the damage and not make that a 5-0 defeat. And Rodgers, time and time again, at Celtic and at Liverpool, um, has shown a refusal to, to change his style. He think, It's almost as if he thinks he can impose his style on, on any opposition. And in Scotland, he obviously can. But in Europe, you can't do that. Um, and I think that's maybe the final kind of development of him as a coach. I mean, Brendan Rodgers is still a relatively young coach. He's still he still is developing. I mean, I know he's been in the Premier League a lot and he's been at Celtic for a, a year already, but um, he's still learning things. And I think that's that's maybe something that sticks in my mind was Celtic Ferguson um, was quoted as saying around the mid-2000s that it took him until then to really realise how to play in European football. And he, he regretted not playing a more conservative style before then because Man United should have probably done better in Europe um, up until that point. And after he changed his style, Manchester United started making finals and semi-finals every year. It's a similar sort of thing with Brendan Rodgers. I think he needs to have a kind of almost an, a, a, a watershed moment where it clicks at, that he needs to kind of change his style in Europe. Well, let's stay on that track then. What changes does he need to make from the PSG game? Or does he not need to make any because it's a complete complete departure in terms of opposition and let's, let's not kid ourselves on nowhere near the quality of PSG. Does he need to make any changes? Yeah, I think he still does. I think in a away game in Europe you, you need to... Anderlecht, are, I, I don't watch much Belgian football, but while they, their season has been a little, bit, a little bit of a shambles so far, in terms of the quality of the team, I think they're comparable to Celtic in a way. Um, so they need, to, they need to respect them. I think Anderlecht will give Celtic a tougher game than anyone in Scotland has. So um, they, I, I think he needs to. It, it's about making the game not as open. Celtic were far too open against PSG. Um, look at the way Tony Tony Ralston. I know he became a bit of a, a cult hero uh, after that game for the way he squared up to Neymar. But um, if we're isolating his actual play, I don't blame too, blame him too much because he was left completely open to go one on one against one of the best players in the world. They need to they need to help out their defence more. Again, and I'll keep going back to this point. In Scotland, that's not so much of an issue, but in Europe it is. And I don't think Brendan Rodgers has done so much so far. Obviously, we're only one game into the group stages. So there's a lot of time for him to, to prove that point wrong, but he's not done enough of, in that regard. Yeah, I think I'd probably... I'd, I'd maybe stick a, you know, a warning at the start by saying it's... We, we, I don't think the criticism that Rodgers really got 
after the PSG game by some was was fair just because of the huge, you know, differences and in, in contrast and in, in simple fortunes that PSG and Celtic. I mean, they came up against easily the most expensive team ever assembled to an extent. You know, they also uh, came sorry about but they also came up against a PSG team who were looking to make a statement at yeah. that very moment. Their first Champions yeah. League game after a like coming out summer transfer window, they were always going to be in the mood. Yeah, and I think there's also. I always kind of make this argument, and and it's it's almost it obviously falls on deaf ears because football fans don't act like this. You know, they're they're, they're obviously and quite rightly, you know, um, defined by their emotions and their love for the club. But after the PSG game, I was almost saying, you know, it doesn't it didn't really matter what Celtic did against PSG. It doesn't matter what they do against Bayern Munich. It depends what they do against Anderlecht. And but saying that, there were definitely some tactical things that I think Rogers got wrong at PSG, which I'd be worried if he did again against Anderlecht. Graham kind of alluded to it there, and I was meant I was talking about this during the game. It's, it's something that I still believe. I, th- I think Roberts, in particular, on the right wing, is obviously an outstanding player going forward. But I think tactically, he doesn't fit into the structure of the Celtic team as well as James Forrest does. Okay. Um, I thought James Forrest was really, really underappreciated in their qualifying campaign. You know, not only for for the fact he was scoring and assisting at a rate that he probably hasn't reached before at Celtic. He was really, I mean, I've up until maybe like 12 months ago, or even less than that, six months ago, I really didn't like James Forrest that much. I thought he was quite a limited player, but he really has come on in the same way as like Cal McGregor, for example, under Rodgers. And he really proved himself as, you know, an industrious winger who can not only get forward and create assessing goals, but he can really cover his fullback as well. And in the PSG game, as, as Graham said, and with an ex- inexperienced fullback at right back, I have no idea why I decided to go with Roberts. And... You know, all the headlines and all the photos taken that day were of, you know, Roberts surrounded by three PSG uh, defenders and you could easily take that photo and wind up the narrative that, you know, Roberts bravely was taken on the PSG team on his own. But actually, in fact, he was just running off usually on his own, completely devoid of any structure of the Celtic team. The entire Celtic team were usually 20 or 30 yards behind him. Now, you might be able to, you might say, OK, good on him for trying to do something on his own, but when you're trying to actually... When you're a coach like Rodgers and your whole team is based around trying to build an actual structure about winning games, you can't have players who will literally run off 20, 30 yards out of position. And that's exactly what Roberts does. And now I say, against PSG, it doesn't really matter. But if he plays Roberts again and he does the same thing against Anderlecht, who have good wingers, who have good goal scorers, they've lost T. Lumen, who I think, as I say in the, the, in the preview to this Celtic game, he's a huge loss. And I think he's a large part in... Um, you know why they aren't playing as well and they've also lost the key left back and key centre defender as well but they still have great midfielders and they have great forwards and if we're going to see the left back whose name's completely lost me the Nigerian winger from Everton he scored about four goals in seven games he's the guy who's going to be up against Lustig or Ralston he's one of the best players this season if Rodgers decides okay I'm going to leave Ralston to do him in his own and let Roberts do what he does instead of bringing someone like Forrest in to try and help out I'm going to, I, I, think, I think that's something that could really trip up Celtic. And if he does that and it does trip them up, I think that's a black mark on Rodgers. Can I ask a question about, about Roberts? Um, in that Roberts was signed, I mean, re-signed, I suppose, but he was signed essentially as a kind of marquee player of a superior quality. And I think a lot of people thought he's the kind of player who can make the difference at Champions League level. Where, do, where does he fit in in the Champions League then? If I mean, obviously, he's, he's arguably their best, in terms of technical quality, he's arguably their best player, but you know, going on what you're saying, how, how can Rodgers ever play him in the Champions League? I, I, I don't know where Roberts plays in that team, if I'm honest with you. If, if I had to pick somewhere, I mean, I know he's a winger, but the only real position in that Celtic team that really can afford to be quite 
Um, you know, ill-disciplined is maybe number 10, where obviously Rogic plays a good job there. But Do you play him there then? If he's a I don't know. I don't, well, I don't play him at all, if I'm honest with you. Is it maybe like if they made the Europa League and they're up against competition where it maybe isn't as high a standard as PSG? And well, yeah, maybe. I mean, but this is this is what it all comes down to. I mean, if Graham's, Graham perfectly illustrated the kind of paradox of this. You sign these good players because you want to play in the Champions League, but you then get into the Champions League and you play better teams who you have to have a better defensive structure with, and Roberts doesn't do that. In my opinion, now I'm sure some Celtic fans are more than welcome to disagree with that, but as things stand, if you're going into a tight game, and now in, in, if you're going into a tight game and you want to win that game and you want to impose yourself, uh, I think Forrest offers a much more balanced, um, disciplined winger than, than Roberts. So, I mean... Does a lack of competition in Scotland put Celtic at a disadvantage when it, when it comes to these European games? I mean, we should probably briefly touch on it. The Old Firm happened at the weekend. Mm. Again, a comfortable win for Celtic. I, I think most people expected it. Yeah. Um, d- does it does it affect them in the sense that they aren't particularly pushed even by their closest rivals? I mean, include obviously, I say that Rangers are their closest rivals, Aberdeen as well, who are only two points behind at the moment. But they've not really been pushed for quite a while domestically is that is that harming them yeah i'll be bullish on this i'll say yes um I th- i'll stand up for the quality of scottish football but there's no denying that celtic don't have a challenge at the moment and that means as a, as i touched on earlier you know against any scottish team literally any scottish team they can play their 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 a game they don't have to compromise in any way they can impose their style on the opposition and when it comes to europe it's a completely different you know, almost a di- completely different game. Anderlecht at home is perhaps the only one of six fixtures where you could say Celtic can impose their style on an opponent. Um, so I, th- I think just through lack of practice, I know that sounds simplistic, but these things do take time. I mean, y- you need to perfect the system. Uh, t- players get out of the get out of the the groove of um, playing in a specific discipline, with a specific discipline, and, and, and so Celtic don't, they play a handful of those games every season, and, and if, if there was a, a more competition in Scotland, they would have more practice in doing it. So yeah, I would, I would I'd be fairly bullish on that and say yes, it does harm their chances. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, the game against Rangers is probably a good example of <clears throat> how, um, you know, I, I thought I thought Coutinho, I gave him some credit after the game, I actually thought he illustrated, he, he, correctly pointed out the way Celtic played and he tried to, to, to stop that um, and I thought they did that to a reasonable degree in the first half um, and that meant and it, particularly they, they really tried to stop Brown from being the focal point that he is and you know I, I, this is another thing that Celtic fans have sent me truckload of abuse about on Twitter but when you look at stats it's true Celtic's expected goals at half time against Rangers was as lowest it's ever been in the league this season um, and when you look at the pass maps and you look at the way that Celtic passed the ball, Brown wasn't nearly as involved as he has been in other games. So even though Celtic were never going to lose to Rangers, they were always going to win and they all, obviously they did comfortably. Rangers were still able to try and disrupt that system and only because of the lack of quality in that Rangers team, Celtic were allowed to be like, right, we can't pass through Brown now, let's go straight to Sinclair, let's go straight to Armstrong and eventually it worked and it worked fine. But in the Champions League, they don't get that. They won't be offered that kind of, you know, 
Um, a little bit of lack of quality in opposition, essentially. Exactly, yeah. So if if Anderlecht go into this game on Wednesday night and say, right, Brown's our main man, let's stick someone on him and stop them from passing to that, they won't be able to change things up like they did against Rangers. I mean, I don't think they will. And if if, if they stick a better quality player than Pena, this is where, I, I mean, I think you got quite a lot of abuse from this about this on Twitter. I think what you were trying to, well, maybe you weren't, you can correct me. I think what you were trying to say was that the positional discipline for, of Pena was having an effect. Mm-hmm. Not the quality of Pena as a player. No, he, looks, he looks dreadful. He looks dreadful. He's a, he, you know he can't he can't control a ball. But that's that's the point though. Like it, it, Kachinia with a really really average looking player who I don't think was anywhere near Rangers' best player in the week. He, sorry, I totally caught you off the game. But like even Rangers and even with a very average player were able to disrupt Celtic. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If yeah. I, you know I, I can't say that I, I've watched Anderlecht a lot, but if they have even a, a, a player who is average. That, you know he's surely going to have a better chance of of uh, you know stopping Brown and stopping Celtic in the centre midfield. So yeah, that that would be a, a a worry from. It wasn't a problem at, in against Rangers, but going forward, that looking at that as an example could be a problem. Yeah, and that's and that and that kind of comes back to the idea of why lack of competition does struggle uh, does cause problems for Celtic because they're so used to playing their game plan, and even when. You know, arguably, they're, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the best opponent or the, the best quality opponents because I'm not. I think this Aberdeen team is maybe still better than Rangers, but maybe the the, the most expensively assembled opponent. Should I put it that way? In Scotland, specifically, try and stop that, and they can still work around it. That that doesn't really suggest that Celtic um, are good at making alternative game plans. It means they can maybe be a bit complacent and they still get by. And what that means is that it just it can it can unfortunately just reconfirm Rogers' beliefs. That his style of football works, when in reality in Europe that might not be the case at all. I mean, going back to maybe the Gladbach game as well last season, where everyone really expected Celtic to win that game at Celtic Park, and then Gladbach came out and they thumped it. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's this is the real worry for me with Celtic now. I'm going to contradict myself once again. I know I'm just rambling at this point because actually I think at this point it's really worth pointing. I think Green alluded to it earlier on. Celtic did really well in the group in the qualifiers. I thought Rogers um, correctly identified that you know. Historically, Celtic's defensive record in qualifying games is dreadful. Particularly away, yeah. In particular way, and he, up until the Astana game, he purposefully made sure that they didn't concede goals, and that meant they purposely went defensive, and they purposefully stopped teams. Now, I'm, I don't think Andelect are as poor a quality as you know the first two teams they played before Astana, and Astana then showed you know with a bit more quality you can still get past that Celtic defence, but it did show briefly that Rogers, when given that task is able to then flip Celtic round and make them a defensive team. And this is why, again, I'll point out, it's players like James Forrest, you know, who do can get stuck in and offer almost like a thankless task. You know, they're more like a... They carry, they carry the burden of, you know, doing more running and doing more tracking back that maybe, you know, as Graham said, a more marquee player like Roberts doesn't have to show to still get the, quality, the, the appraisal from Celtic fans. So just kind of staying on quality then... Obviously, are Celtic better equipped this season for Europe than they were last season? Yeah, they are better equipped. That doesn't mean that they're as equipped as they should be, uh, if that makes sense. I mean, they haven't lost... Um, I don't think they've not lost any players. I mean, obviously, Roberts went back, but he's he resigned. So um, they've pretty much got the same team with the addition, addition of um, Olivier Benchamp, who I think that was a... Uh, that is a, a signing that was made for European football. They needed someone who could, um, obviously, 
we can talk about whether Stuart Armstrong is, is a is a technically better player or you know whether he has more effect on the game in attacking sense. But and Cham and Brown give, um, and especially if Beaton's playing as well, that's a platform um, for European football. It's a lot more solid. So he was signed with the Champions League in mind. So yes, they are better equipped. But as I think Stefan's going to go on to, there's still hole in that te- holes in that team yeah, sure. that needed to be addressed and weren't. Yeah, uh, Graham. Obviously, we spend far too much time together. If you already could predict one, <laughs> I know this happens a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. My my main concern for Celtic actually this season. I mean, obviously they're going to walk the league, but I honestly cannot believe they didn't sign a centre back. I've already said this in the podcast before. I think they probably briefly touched on it on the transfer deadline day podcast, but we recorded at like three a.m., so I can't remember anything from that. Um, but. Uh, Unfortunately, this means I'm going to have to take an on dig at Roberts, which I don't want to do because I genuinely think he's a good player, and I don't want Celtic fans to think I don't think he's a good player. But yeah. if I cannot, Celtic if, spent if, the so summer so trying great. to sign Patrick Roberts, and that took them away from signing a central defender, I think that's a fundamental flaw in either Peter Lawwell or Brendan Rodgers' plan for this coming season. I think Celtic could have quite easily got by doing what they have to do this season without Roberts. I worry they might not be able to do what they want to do in Europe without another proper centre back. And if and, and if the rumours are to be believed, the rumours are to be believed uh, that they were willing to offer a huge amount of money to buy Rogers on a permanent deal. Rogers. Robert, sorry, not Rogers. Uh, they've already got Rogers. Um, <laughs> Rogers is on loan. <laughs> um, <laughs> if they were, yeah, if they were willing to put that money aside to sign him, I don't understand why. And they might still have the money in a certain ringed off ring fenced area in the, to, to buy him in the future, but in Peter Lawwell's games room. Yeah, under under the snooker table or something, I don't know. But I honestly cannot comprehend why they didn't look at that squad and think we need another centre-back because I know Celtic fans do, a lot of them do like Simunovic and I think he's okay, but I don't think he, I don't think um, Boyata, Beaton, God Almighty, um, I don't think these guys, and Lustig when these, Lustig, uh, two of those players you just named aren't really centre-backs. Yeah, so you know that, I mean, that's, that's alarm bells. That's what drove me mad actually in the PSG game actually. I thought the only proper centre-back that I think's good enough for the Champions League at Celtic, in my opinion, is Fiachenko. And I, every Celtic fan I think in that PSG game should have been thinking, why the hell have we got Lustig and Simunovic as centre-back here? Mm. And unfortunately, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think Ralston's a good player. But when you have to rely, I know, I know Celtic do have quite a proud history of bringing young players in in key Champions League games, but it shouldn't be they shouldn't have to rely on a player like Ralston in their first Champions League game. Everything Celtic do financially and sportingly should be based around doing the very best they can in the group stages, and I don't think they've done that. If they haven't got a centre defender. So to answer your question, <laughs> no, they don't. I don't think they're better equipped for the Champions League because they didn't sign a central defender. Well, I think I think Rogers recognised they did need a central defender. It's just they didn't have the contingency plans to um, account for Rivaldo Coyote failing his medical. And also, you could argue they left it too late. I mean, I it was about to jump in and say that they yeah. they left it until what mid-August before starting to make a move for him um, so I don't understand why that wasn't their first priority I mean it's definitely a priority ahead of signing Johnny Hayes uh, I honestly to, totally forgot about Johnny Hayes so you just said there poor, poor Johnny Hayes oh, but then why, why did he go like, I know we're, we're going to go off topic but why did he go why did he leave I, I, I mean I've got this is an absolute hunch but I, I have a a feeling that Celtic um, over the course of the summer were kind of drawn into this idea of re-signing Patrick Roberts. Yeah. I think I think Johnny Hayes was the Patrick Roberts replacement. I think they probably then thought, right, let's go and get Olivia and Cham, and let's go and get a centre back. And over the summer, there were all, there were all these rumours about 
I mean, I don't doubt they had a tentative interest. They're maybe just monitoring the situation yeah. with Roberts. But over the summer, obviously, there was this clamour from Celtic fans to go and get PR7, as he's now dubbed. Um, <laughs> and... I mean, yes, this this podcast is coming down very hard on Patrick Roberts. I know, I think, I know. He, I think he's really good. No, I think we all do. I think Stefan's going to get some amount of hate. But, um. <laughs> For a change. I know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, as, as I say, it, it should have been the priority, number one priority, particularly ahead of signing Johnny Hayes, and, and that could cost him in the end. I mean, so going back to, obviously, the big thing that Celtic have said is they want to be in Europe after Christmas. I've got to write that down, right? Is that a fair question to ask of Rodgers? Is the kind of money that's been spent and the reputation he's built up in that one year, is that a fair question to ask that he should be in the Europa League uh, or they should be finishing third in this group? Yeah, I think, I think definitely. I think there's, it's, 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 it's a simple two-legged affair, to be honest with you. No, that's not really any huge, crazy insight. I mean, it's quite simple. I think Celtic have expectations to beat Anderlecht third. If they don't do that, then the job's not done. Um, and... It really is as simple as that, and as I as I alluded to in the article I wrote today, you know this Andalic team are really troubled. They've lost a coach. He left uh, what a week or two ago now. Mm-hmm. They've lost their best midfielder. They've lost their best defensive midf- uh, central defender. They lost their key left back who moved to China for a great deal. Uh, he got a lot of criticism for that um, for <coughs> money, and you know this this Andalic team. If this Andalic team were on a par with Celtic uh, going into the group stages, or maybe you know, off the back of last season, there's no doubt about it that they've definitely got a lot more holes in that team than they, sh- they had. So the expectation for Celtic now, I think, has increased to beat Anderlecht. Not only at Celtic Park, but I really, really think they should be taking points off them in Brussels too. Yeah, I, I think um, that is the next aim for, for Rodgers. I mean, he's conquered Scotland. They will con- Celtic will continue to conquer Scotland. I, I, th- I mean, if you ask me to hazard a guess now, I think they'll win the treble again this season. I don't see anyone coming near them. So, um it's all about Europe. Um, I think if Celtic fail to do it this year, it will be there will be questions asked, but I don't think it will be necessarily a black market such. I think it will then come down to the season after. And if they fail us then to make the last 16, I think that's really where you would start to think, OK, where's the next progress progression beyond this? But... Um, yeah, it's definitely a fair aim for them. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the criticism is specifically on Celtic because, as far as Celtic are concerned, getting to the group stages is really the the key goal. As long as they got to the group stages, they make their money, and you know, looking at their finances actually, which they released a few weeks ago, a large chunk of that is actually they actually made a notable bet on reaching the group stages. Um, you know, they, they spent a fair amount of money, not specifically on transfers, but wages and things like that on saying we need to be playing in the group stages. So now they're in the group stages in terms of like the bottom line is for the finances and for, the, for I guess, the sporting um, expectation. It's the group stages. But for Rodgers as a coach who, you know, fans might not like the sound of this, but he probably still does have one eye on England. <laughs> of course he does. Um, and he's probably very well, very much aware of the fact that, unfortunately, I don't like this. I don't like this. I'm, I'm, I, I, although I will say that I'm probably one of the, one of the biggest critics of English football, so I don't mind suggesting that they perhaps hold our game in a similar regard. Um, you know, so I think for him as a coach, he has to prove himself to a certain degree in Europe, perhaps more so than Celtic do. I mean, so obviously, I think what you're alluding to there is that financially, anything is a bonus after the group stage because you're getting the TV money, you're getting the group stage money when you reach there. What happens if they do lose to Anderlecht in this first game against the Belgian side? Because... Can they still qualify from there, or is it going to be extremely tough? Um, 
you're relying on, I think, one of these um, mysterious, unexplainable, magical nights at Celtic Park to get through then. Uh, Tony Watt special. A Tony Watt special, yeah, exactly. Um, which... You you can't really count upon because obviously Tony Watt follows us actually. Shout out to Tony Watt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it all the last five minutes that the gibberish emerges? I don't know. Yeah, we're getting them to write some film reviews for this. Oh, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> joke about that. Mike Bassett. <laughs> don't joke about that. Um, yeah, so you obviously they would need to beat Anderlecht at home, and then you would need to maybe pick up a point off Bayern Munich at, at, at home because um, I don't see them picking up anything away to Bayern Munich or PSG. Um, so. It does. It definitely puts them up against it. I think. Yeah, I think the if, if Celtic lose on Wednesday night, then the only real, like Graham said, they have to basically bit better that result at Celtic Park. But um, if there is perhaps um, some kind of glimmer of hope in that regard, it's that Celt- the, is the Anderlecht have already lost at home to Bayern, which I think is probably the next best alternative for Celtic to pick up points because. Um, you know, I cover the Bundesliga as I do. I, this, Bayern, this Bayern Munich team, although still obviously far better than Celtic and Anderlecht, they are also nowhere near their best. And there's also talk of Carl Ancelotti leaving in January. He's been linked with all sorts of moves, even to China as well. For actually. a good deal, yeah. Um, and deal. They, they drew against Wolfsburg at the weekend and um, on Friday. Oh, I saw that goalkeeping error. That yeah. was a howler. Well, that's what I was going to add on. They've lost Manuel Neuer and goals until the end of the year. So if Celtic can't beat Anderlecht at home, um, it will come down to them beating Anderlecht at Celtic Park. And I think um, they could probably do a better job at Celtic Park against this Bayern team than maybe Anderlecht did. And if they can maybe get a point from that, then that's it. But they cannot allow that to be the situation. I really do think this away game is something that Celtic really have to attack. Yeah, just, just I know I'm kind of backtracking to a previous point, but when we're talking about, you know, does Rodgers need to make the last 16? Well, Kind of to contradict myself, I also I think maybe the best solution for Celtic is they drop into the Europa League and make a run in that competition. It's feasible. I mean, if you look at the teams that make final the final of Europa League, Celtic could, you know, win that competition. If Rangers can do it with Kurt Broadfoot at right back, <laughs> there is hope for anybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I think um, I, I, if I were a Celtic fan, I, I reckon that would be the best possible solution or the best possible um, eventuality is you get the big games against Bayern Munich, PSG, drop into Europa League where it's more more on Celtic's kind of level playing field and, and then you can actually go uh, on a run in that competition. It's worth pointing out as well, Dan, like they actually did really well in the Europa League last season. Uh, yeah. They the not playing Manchester United. They got to the quarterfinals, yeah. I think, or semi-finals. So they do have a pedigree to an extent this this, uh, this competition, which is definitely something that we have to add in. But, you know, just to kind of sum up what I've probably said about six times already. Patrick the, Roberts, you hate Patrick Roberts. I hate Patrick <laughs> Roberts and Anderlecht are crap. Uh, <laughs> Great. Solid. I mean, that's all we've got time for. What what a bombshell to end on. Uh, you can follow us on social media at the 2.1. That's Instagram, that's Facebook, and also Twitter. Uh, for the 2.1 cast, we're on Audio Boom. We are on iTunes. Just so you can subscribe. You can leave reviews. Nice ones, please. Uh, Stefan, did you want to jump in there? Yeah, I did. We've also got our new mini documentary up this weekend, actually, uh, about a very special team in Glasgow called United Glasgow. Uh, and we went behind the scenes with them and looked at how they're helping refugees and immigrants move to Glasgow and really integrate into Scottish life through playing football. So, Yeah, check that out as well at the2.1.com. But until then, we'll see you next week on the 2.1 cast.